Hey, Consumed Listener, this is your host, Jamie Lewis. Before I start this episode, can I ask you a little favor? Will you please go to Apple Podcasts and rate and or review Consumed? It helps other like-minded people find the podcast and it gives love to the folks who sponsor it. And listen, if you don't have anything nice to say, well, just imagine me channeling your mother here, okay? Okay, here's the episode and thank you. It's Consumed, the conversational food and wine podcast covering the flavor of California's Central Coast and beyond. This season, I'm covering lots of different eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers, including a mushroom expert, the team behind San Luis Obispo County's first Michelin star, a family of winemakers, an outspoken wine and food critic, a culinary-obsessed high school student, local food activists, pupusa enthusiasts, state historians, and more. Hungry? Thirsty? Let's get consumed. I've had a real curiosity about mushrooms ever since I saw the documentary Fantastic Fungi, which explains the importance and mystery of the fungal kingdom and how critical it is to life on Earth. I've wanted to have a mushroom expert on the podcast for a while now, and I finally met the right person for the job. Los Osos mycologist Dennis Sheridan studied biology at Cal Poly Pomona and moved up to work at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and then became a photographer of the natural world, including insects, reptiles, amphibians, plants, and yes, mushrooms. His photos have appeared in National Geographic, Ranger Rick, and California Wild, and he's active in field monitoring and DNA collecting for mushrooms around the world. He spoke with me about how mycelium helps plants talk to each other, how he encourages people to take responsibility for catching their own edible mushrooms, and yes, quite a bit about psilocybin and microdosing and macrodosing magic mushrooms. Check the show notes on letsgetconsumed.com for links to the books he mentions here, as well as links to the various organizations for which Dennis leads mushroom walks on the Central Coast. Okay, here's Dennis Sheridan. Oh, and by the way, my cat vomited at one point right behind me during the recording, and I've cut that out. But that's why we keep talking about my kitty throwing up. Okay, it's real life, right? Here's Dennis Sheridan. Dennis Sheridan, you are a mycologist, a um, and also just a, a nature lover and a curious human being. I have a curiosity about lots of biological things, mm-hmm. meaning my degree is in entomology. I'm an entomologist. Oh, okay. And part of the reason I'm studying mushrooms is because they're insects that eat mushrooms. I also had a big a career in photography. I loved, mm-hmm. and still do, love photography. So I would, on a wet year, I'd love to go into the forest and take pictures Mm -hmm. of mushrooms. And then I wanted to know what the mushrooms were. Mm. And I was not too curious, at least at the beginning, about if they're good to eat or not. You were not curious. It was just they were beautiful and interesting. And I wanted to understand them more. Mm -hmm. And I liked spending time in the woods on my hands and knees. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say praying, but, mm-hmm. you know, on my hands and knees, exploring. I've been teaching, studying, learning, and some eating mm-hmm. mushrooms for 40 years. Amazing. Uh, and that was not ever a goal. You know, mm-hmm. insects were my goal. Reptiles were my goal. Uh, lichens, which is a kind mm-hmm. of fungus, was my goal. Um, but it's 
and photography. Were, yeah, well, it's curiosity that's leading this bandwagon. Mm-hmm. I belong to the Native Plant Society and many other Org- Audubon Society and many mm-hmm. other groups that help me foster or share an interest in these kinds of things. It's incredible. Um, you brought a book with you, Mushrooms Demystified, that can I just say it's very well loved. It kind of looks like a Bible, if I'm honest. It's thick as a Bible. Yeah. And some of the mushroom people call this, I call it at least my Bible, my mushroom Bible. Is it a pretty um, like well-respected, it is a, a, like a fundamental text? Nowadays it is. Yeah. This guy's name is David Aurora. Mm-hmm. Turns out to be a personal friend. Oh, uh, And he's come to my house more than a few times and cooked meals for me. With mushrooms. With mushrooms. And everybody admires and respects this book, Mushrooms Demystified. Mm -hmm. They also like All That the Rain Promises and More, which is a smaller Mm -hmm. little hand pocket guide. But he's made his whole life revolve around mushrooms. He's Mm -hmm. done lots of mushroom work in China Hmm. and Africa and the Middle East and Australia, wherever he goes, he hooks up with the best mushroom people. And uh, when you say he does work in China and Africa and the Middle East, yeah. by work, do you mean he's um, researching, he's hunting them down, he's cataloging? I mean, is that what you mean? In addition to maybe possibly even describing new species. Okay. And that's not easy work. You yeah. know, it's not, it's not, you name it and that's it. You have to do all the work. And nowadays, David and I and others do DNA separations. Tell so, me about that. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work with the American Museum of Natural History at their Southwest Research Station, mm. which is one of my favorite places on the planet, in southeast Arizona in a place called the Chiricahua Mountains. And another mycologist led a workshop, a class, 10-day class, Mm -hmm. on the mushrooms of the Sky Islands. Where's that? In southeast Arizona, in the desert, there's some very tall anomalies, mountains that come up out of the desert floor Uh and go to 9 or 10,000 or more feet Are they like buttes or something? Like that, but a mountain range that catches the monsoon rains. So the monsoons come up from Mexico or from tropical areas and dump water in August and September and July Mm -hmm. and June. And mushrooms come out in profusion. Mm. So I suggested that we teach a class at the research station, and the director turns is a friend, turns out loved the idea, thought this is way cool, and we got Christian Schwartz, which is another big name, mm-hmm. uh, to come teach this class, and he brought on eight instructors. I was one of them. Wow. Michelle Torres Grant was another. Other way cool people were also the instructors, eight instructors, this was several, a couple of years before the pandemic. Mm. But there was some communication, whatever, not problems. But they got four students. 
Oh, with eight instructors. instructors. It worked out beautifully. Did it? We loved each other, the instructors, as well as the students. And the students knew as much as we did. It was a love fest. We just loved (laughs) mushrooms. We would go out and catch mushrooms. We would identify mushrooms. We would work through mushroom problems. We made DNA samples in the lab and sent them off and got the results back two days later. Cool. And are starting a library. Mm Mm-hmm of DNA that is like a lending library. Anybody can borrow it. Anybody can look at it. Anybody can use it. They loved the amount of work we did so much they've invited us back until the pandemic came. And we will go back as soon as those restrictions are left Mm -hmm. or changed. Uh, It's one of the things I enjoy doing most. And Part of the reason I like the Chiricahua Mountains and the Sky Island Mountains Mm -hmm. is it has almost everything I like. Mm -hmm. It has insects. Mm -hmm. That's my first love, maybe, other than my wife. Uh, (laughs) uh, Insects, but reptiles, Mm -hmm. plants, birds. Uh, And I don't want to say mushrooms at the end, but mushrooms included. And when you got eight and four, 12 maybe 15 people together. It was just a circus. We uh, found some mushrooms called Amanita mushrooms, and it was sort of my introduction into the real scientific world where you're reading a paper in front of an audience and they then talk to you about what you're doing and how to do it and blah, 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 and then offer you unlimited support. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I actually fell in love, not just because of that, but I just love the area. I've been going to that research station almost every year mm-hmm. for 50 years. Wow. And they say, without the word fuck, they say, fuck, you can't be doing that because <laughs> you're not 50 years old, are you? <laughs> and I said, well, I've been coming here since college. Yeah. And that was 50 years ago. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? Cal Poly Pomona. Oh, did you? And I got a job offer up here at this Cal Poly mm-hmm. San Luis Obispo because mm-hmm. I was a lab technician, or I was a graduate student, <laughs> a grunt there. And it was a perfect opportunity mm-hmm. for me to move from the L.A. metropolitan area to a relatively virgin country. Did you see the movie Fantas- Fantastic Fungi? Yes. That movie, so the story behind me seeing that movie, I really am so curious about mushrooms, but that was playing at the Palm Theater. The thing I wanted to see there was sold out, and I had already, you know, arranged to be there, had my husband watching the kids, and and I, I asked the people at the booth, well, what should I see? And they said, you should see this. So, um, fantastic fungi or fungi um so amazing time lapse photography of mushrooms coming out of the ground coming out of trees um out of moss they are like and and you should have heard the audience just you know gasping absolutely i was there (gasps) oh my (laughs) gosh just the reds and the oranges and like some of these that you you have here in photos where they kind of come out of themselves they like sprout one and then another comes out of it and another comes out of it i i was really into the idea of this network of fungi that's kind of below the surface of the earth that intertwines across the entire globe and that that network 
survived the coming and going of the dinosaurs. Mass extinctions repeatedly. The fungi might have evolved before plants. Right. And there's fossil records, I think, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that show that they were a couple billion years old. Amazing. And plants and animals evolved with mushrooms and are the mycelium and the mycorrhizal relationships are truly amazing. Mm-hmm. And we're just now beginning to scratch the surface of what we know or what we will discover in the future. I, and nobody knows what that will be. Right. But it's, well, part of what I wanted to hopefully talk to you about, there's a couple of good books. Please. There's something called The Entangled Web, mm-hmm. Merlin Sheldrake is a wonderful read, mm-hmm. and it's a guy from London or England, and uh, he talks a lot about how plants are relying on the mycelium, mm-hmm. the vegetative body of mushrooms, for their nutrients. But more than that, for communication. Yes. More than that, for a lot of stuff that we have yet to discover. Yeah. Um, Communication, can you explain that? Yeah. If I put a plant in the ground in my front yard, and I'll just say a tomato plant, doesn't matter what kind of plant, and then that tomato plant isn't happy because I didn't water it, or the sun isn't right, or whatever the reason is, Mm -hmm. it sends out through its roots, a stress vibration, mm-hmm. a stress An SOS. Aura. <laughs> and through the mycelium that's in the ground, another tomato plant 50 yards away can say, oh, my brother, mm-hmm. I'll send you some of my energy mm-hmm. through the mycelium. And I'm simplifying this way too much. I'm, it doesn't. It's not exactly. I'm like energy. <laughs> wow. Okay. No. How, but there's they do exchange something sugars. real and like demonstrable and yeah. quantifiable. Yeah. yeah. They can put a marker in this tomato plant and have it show up in that tomato plant. Right. And they have a barrier between the two mm-hmm. <laughs> that only the mycelium gets through. And the mycelium is that just kind of a a specific word for. The mushroom network? Yes. The word I don't want to use is roots. The mycelium is like the roots of a mushroom. Why isn't it roots, though? Uh, Good question. Um, Is it more ethereal than that? No, no, no. It's Mm. real. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I turn over a log that's wet on the ground, I see a white network of mycelium growing Mm -hmm. and when the time is right that mycelium says i want to reproduce i want to put up my flower Mm -hmm. and these are words in the plant kingdom that i'm jumping kingdoms from Mm -hmm. to put out my spores so i can have babies Mm -hmm. or uh, i'm not sure babies so i can grow some more plants (laughs) You are are dumbing it down for me, and I appreciate that. It's not babies, but the spores. And I'm just, my mind is reeling. There's a lot I'd like to tell you. Mm -hmm. 
are totally amazing. Some mushrooms, and I'll use a, a common one like turkey tails. Okay, is yeah. a mushroom that many people know. You can see it looks like the tail of a turkey. Yeah. Hugely medicinal. Yes, I was going to say. In China and yeah. other places here now, uh, becoming here now more better. Uh, Paul Steinmetz claimed he cured his mother. Cancer. Stage four, yep. some, and she was an older woman, 80-something years old. Turkey tails, completely in remission. Yeah. The turkey tail mushroom might have 2,000 different sexes. Hmm. Wait, what? Sexes. You know, in humans, it's a boy and a girl. Right. And, A-B. Uh, well, wait, and nowadays there might be things in between. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Yes. Okay. But so, we're talking like... Different sexes. Wow. And I don't understand it. Uh, when I was studying mushrooms, I thought it's either a plus or a minus. Uh-huh. Well, it's a plus or a minus or a minus minus plus or plus plus minus or... In turkey tails, it, they have... A buttload. <laughs> See, I'm using words you can't put on the air. Uh, <laughs> oh, but this isn't NPR. It's going on. <laughs> I'm not beeping you, Dennis. Uh, of different combinations. And any of the sexes can mate with any other sex. Wow. In, I don't want to put this too human-like. Mm. In the human world, males more normally mate with females. To, <laughs> to reproduce. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but in the mushroom word, any of these sexes can, and it takes two different sexes for it to happen. But they have lots of choices. Yeah. It's pretty much any, any sex other than their own. In the same species. Okay. Okay. This is fascinating. I want to take a minute to shout out to a couple of good friends of this podcast. Consumed is sponsored by Mid-State Containers, cargo storage containers, and refrigerated shipping containers for sale and rent in California. You may not understand how Mid-State Containers could change your life, but the truth is many, many guests on the Consumed podcast use Mid-State for their projects. Containers can serve as wine storage units for case goods for private collections and even tasting rooms. They can be refrigerated storage containers for breweries, kegs, and fruit during harvest for wineries. Mid-State Containers outfits coolers and freezers for ranchers, farmers market growers, orchards, and butchers. Containers can make great pop-up coffee bars and berry containers for root cellars. My guest from Season 10, Krista Flieger, from Lonely Palm Ranch, uses her Mid-State Container for an office on her property. Other ideas include schoolrooms, music and photography studios, and there are other things that can be grown, stored, and processed in a Mid-State Container, so use your imagination and get on their website to request a quote, midstatecontainers.com. Slow Life magazine also sponsors the Consumed podcast. Slow Life looks at what's going on in San Luis Obispo, including the arts, real estate, business, and the people impacting culture here. For the magazine, I just wrapped up my food column on crepes, which you may know as a French street food, but did you know that every February 2nd is the day of the crepe? In France on that holiday, people try to flip a crepe in the pan with their non-dominant hand, and if they do it, they're guaranteed a year of prosperity. See? You can learn so much from Slow Life Magazine. Get your copy at slowlifemagazine.com. Just 
finding edible mushrooms, which I know you're going to give all kinds of caveats and all kinds of disclaimers, like do not use my advice to go get mushrooms you want to eat. Um, I, I start out every walk like that. Please, I yeah. try to scare the bejesus out of people because I don't want anybody to die. Of course not. Or lose their liver or whatever mm. it is. Um, and we're all responsible for our own decisions. Yeah. And if a person on my mushroom walk, if their very first question about that mushroom is, is it edible? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to say, you have to figure that out for yourself. And I won't even tell you what it is. Yeah, yeah. But if they say, where does this live? What's our relative? What's it do? Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. All those other questions, I am then totally fine yeah. saying, this is a mycorrhizal relationship or this is a lignicolous mushroom, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I'd be thrilled to give you the, all that information. And then once you have that information, I might even, after a couple minutes, admit that, yeah, this is a good edible mushroom and I eat this mushroom. Well, so I guess then in, in that case, to <clears throat> protect listeners from perhaps themselves, um, let's talk about your experience with finding edible mushrooms. What was the first time you ever, I like that you said you caught a mushroom, like it's running away from you. I go hunt them. I do, I do, I do. And (laughs) they hide, those little buggers. You know, they hide (laughs) under the leaves, they hide under the logs, they hide behind trees. But once you do it a lot, it's... You know where to look. Can you you, smell them, by the way? Yes, well, people do. And yes, uh, many mycologists, when they pick it, they look at it, they investigate the color of its spores, mm-hmm. the kind of gills it has, mm-hmm. this, that. And then they always put it up to their nose, mm-hmm. and they take a big inhale, and there's some <sighs> olfactory mm-hmm. connection between their brain. And their eyes get wide, and they say, ah, I know this one. It Isn't smells like one? almonds, or I know yeah. this one. It smells like chlorine. I know that it mm-hmm. smells like whatever it smells like. And there's a connection in their brain between their nose and the mushroom, and it's 80% of these people. I don't have a very good sense of smell. Okay. I do it in case there's a smell there. That feels toxic or... Well, or yeah. Yeah. Um, there's lots of different ways, but my first hunting mushrooms might have centered around chanterelles, and that's a mushroom we all seem to like to love, and it turns out here in this part of California, the world's largest chanterelles grow. I'm like smiling so big, (laughs) I'm like, he's going to say it, he's going to say it, he's going to say it. It's the largest one. Yeah. And there are chanterelles in lots of places, and even the common chanterelle or the California chanterelle mm-hmm. is, but grows biggest in this San Luis Obispo or Central Coast region. If I go up to Santa Cruz, their chanterelles are smaller than ours. Oh. And it's <laughs> truly a joy to go out and collect these mm-hmm. things. And then come home and cook them and yeah. eat them and share them mm-hmm. and and preserve them and you know just all you the dry whole, them out sometimes yes yeah. I but love also, dried mushrooms me too me too me mm-hmm. too um, and there's a 
oh, part of this, oh, I should put a little plug in for the San Luis Botanic Garden mm-hmm. across from Cuesta College yeah. has many educational programs. Mm-hmm. And for the last several, many years, other than COVID years, uh, Christian Schwartz has taught a couple different workshops. Mm-hmm. And I have... I'll say helped with those workshops, mm-hmm. as well as other volunteers, uh, Michelle Torres Grant also, and others. And part of what we do at the Botanic Gardens is we prepare mushrooms for the students. Oh, that's so cool. It's what, a, just butter, garlic? The less, the better, so yeah. they get the, the taste of the mushroom. Yeah. But no, we sometimes put them in pasta, or sometimes yeah. we do whatever we want to do and serve them many different ways. Um, and chanterelles are always a hit, but yeah. also the king bolete, the mm. boletus edulis, uh, are also a huge hit. And many uh, candy caps oh, can be so made cute. into yeah. cookies or breads or whatever. Yeah. And so that's part of the fun of it. But we try, once again, mm-hmm. to make the students be responsible for their own behavior. Yeah. And just because you can drink milk doesn't mean I can drink milk. I mm. might be lactose intolerant. Mm. Without no, even knowing it. I might not know it. Right. Or shrimp. People are allergic. Yeah. Whatever the allergy is. I did have a bad experience early in my mushroom hunting days. There's a mushroom called the Slippery Jack. It's a nice mushroom. Mm-hmm. It's not highly prized, but very good, plentiful, edible. And I had a lady friend, and we would make Slippery Jack omelets for mm. each other, and she invited one of her friends, another lady, over to go mushroom hunting with us. And before going mushroom hunting, we cooked up some of these slippery jacks in an omelet. Mm-hmm. Oh. And she became gastrointestinally upset. Yeah. And during the walk, three or four times, she would fall to the ground and vomit oh. just like your cat. <laughs> <laughs> But how awful. And oh. when she was vomiting, Wanda would hold her, Pat Renshaw's hair back. Yeah. And Pat would look up at me and glare. You poisoned me. Oh, and my gosh. I had. Yeah. You had, yeah. Well, she was, it was sensitive to that protein. For her, yes, right. And I thought it was safe because I and Wanda had been eating these mushrooms for weeks. Mm-hmm. And others have eaten, many, most people eat them. And in the book, it says edible. But not for Pat. But not for that. Yeah, uh, right. And Pat's still a friend. Yeah. That's that's good to hear. <laughs> well, this Forged is all, through mushroom distress. Well, 40 or 50 years later is yeah. uh, what it is. Uh, um, Have you ever eaten something that wasn't quite right for you? Uh, Mushroom-wise? Mm-hmm. No. Cool. Uh, I'm very cautious. Yeah. Uh, and in my early part of mushrooming or hunting, I wanted to taste many different kinds of mushrooms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I would, I'll use this word experiment, you know. Mm-hmm. I would make sure of my ID. I would use many different books. I would use all the knowledge I had mm-hmm. and check with other people. Yeah. And then decide to eat a little bit of it and go forward from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the beginning, my list was fairly long, 30 or 40 mushrooms that wow. are good to gather and eat. Now, my list has narrowed to five or six. Oh, really? 
well, I don't need to eat the less delicious ones. Mm-hmm. Chanterelles are way cool. Uh, Bolitas agilis or the sep is spectacular. Um, there are others. Uh, Armillaria melana, the honey mushroom, is also very, very good at the right age. My my mushroom vocabulary is pretty limited in terms of what I've had. Um, I have a friend, John Herdlicka, who lives in Avila, who in the right years will, he has brought by big baskets of chanterelles, which is just like, is there a better gift? Like he could bring diamonds and I wouldn't care as much, <laughs> but that is just so beautiful when he's done that. But, um, you know, other than that, it's been, you know, whatever I've had at restaurants, I've never gone out much. Well, I take it back. I did go mushroom hunting for porcini in oh, um, in Austria, believe it or not. They're huge there. They Okay, so they, that's no, interesting. They love it. It's part of their culture. It is. And so what's funny is, to totally divert our conversation, my husband and I spent a year, we quit our jobs. I was working at the San Luis Obispo Symphony, quit there. We'd been saving up for years. We went to Italy. Is this before children? This is before children, <laughs> okay, yes. Sorry. I, although I would love to do it with kids, you know. Six months in Italy working on organic farms, and then six months in New Zealand, we worked for um, a winery and a brewery there. So while we were in Italy, one of our hosts lived in very close to Venice, and on the weekend said, let's go to Slovenia and Austria. Now, this is with his broken English. He said, I know a hag in Austria who can show us where the mushrooms are. And we were like... Ah. A hag? Does he mean a hag like the way we think of it? And, like and, a witch? Well, so Jake asked, my husband asked, what do you mean by hag? And the man said, old, not very attractive, big nose, cane, hag, right? And we were like, yep, that is <laughs> that is pretty much the definition of a hag. Anyway, we met up with this woman in a forest in Austria, and she showed us how to get porcini, and we left with... I want to say like two pillowcases full of porcini, more than we could eat. Um, and that was extremely, extremely cool and eye-opening at the base of the trees. Um, and then, you know, not too long ago, I took a hike on the Felsman Loop um, over here at the base part of Bishop's Peak. And it was after rains. And I walked down into this one little gully And I asked about smell because I had this overwhelming, familiar smell from that mushroom hunting. Mm. And I know porcini have almost like a, I don't want to say garlicky, but a very earthy. Earthy. Very earthy smell and taste. But I got a whiff of that at the base of this. And I looked around for a little yellow something um, and I didn't see anything, but it could have been, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Some mushrooms like truffles. Mm-hmm. Don't come up to the surface of the ground. They have to be dug out by pigs or dogs or with rakes or what, whatever it is. Yeah. And they, the mushrooms, the truffles, have evolved to have their spores spread by squirrels mm. or other animals that dig them up, and their smell is so wonderful, pungent, yeah, that they can dig them up even though they're a foot underneath the ground and they want to do this and uh, they eat them and then there's spores on the outside of their face and they go somewhere else and they spread the spores around but how could this evolve this way yeah it's not 
I can't figure it out. I don't want to figure it out. We don't have uh, truffles around here, do no. we? Okay. We have a false truffle, and it's still good to eat. Rhizopogon is that one. But um, no. Mm. Uh, they're beginning to now cultivate truffles. They never could before, up until 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. They plant, I believe it's almond trees, and they inoculate it with the mycelium. Mm -hmm. And after 10 years, there's truffles there. Amazing. 10 years, though. That's patience. Well, how about people that grow avocados? Don't they plant an avocado tree and then 10 or 15 years later it has fruit? Yeah, right. And they use the first 10 years as a tax (laughs) 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 write-off. And the next 10 years as whatever, profit. Once more, I want to give love to a couple other podcast friends. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining local, organic, and non-GMO standards. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. With a mission to empower health and well-being in the community, they offer local produce, meats, low-to-no-waste foods, and wellness items. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. Now hear this. Wine and Spirits magazine named their top 100 wineries of 2021, and the good people at Native Nine Wines in Santa Maria made the list. Not only are they among the top 100 wineries in the world— They are also one of 10 producers from the Central Coast on that list. So side note, go Central Coast, a tenth of the world's top producers. Native Nine produces Pinot Noir, only Pinot Noir, from organically farmed, minimally irrigated, hand-harvested vines that owner James Onaveros planted in 1997 when he was just in his early 20s studying crop science at Cal Poly University. James grows eight Pinot Noir clones on his Rancho Onaveros vineyard, and winemaker Justin Willett shepherds the wine to bottle with a distinct focus on whole cluster fermentation. If you've been looking for the right bottle to share at the holiday table or to gift to a loved one, look for the Native Nine link on the consumed website or visit ranchostayonaveros.com. Are you comfortable talking about psychedelics? Yes. Okay. So when you were, I have to know, when you're, you know, your list is 30 to 50 mushrooms that you've caught and eaten, were you pursuing that for interesting like psychedelic properties? In my younger years, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to say teenage, but in my 20s, there were times that I would take a trip to the Yucatan Mm -hmm. because I like to travel and eat psilocybin mushrooms mm-hmm. out of the fields there. On your own? You're going uh, out and uh, yeah. finding them? Yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, having psychedelic experiences that were very vivid. Yeah. And that was so exciting to me that I decided to try to grow them myself at home. Holy cow. How'd and, that go? And it, it, back then... I was able to do it. I was smart, mm-hmm. and I'm no longer. Um, and it was sort of a, a turning point in that I realized that I don't want to eat psychedelic mushrooms a lot or often or very much. Um, and so I stopped growing them. I stopped eating them. Mm-hmm. 
But recently, and I'll say in my late 60s or early 70s, mm-hmm. um, there's so much new positive information. Michael it? Pollan yes. has a book out, How to Change Your Mind. Yeah. And I explain to people that women don't need to read this book. They already know how to change their mind. (laughs) Now listen, buddy. You just changed your mind. (laughs) I changed my mind about you. (laughs) You just changed your mind. Uh, But it's not what the book means. No. It means you can improve a number of parts of the way your brain functions. Yeah. And anxiety. Mm Mm-hmm. Grief, Mm -hmm. transcendency um, can be... PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. Can be helped demonstrably Mm -hmm. a lot with microdosing. So that's much different than what I was doing as a teenage boy. Oh, well, it's along the same lines. It was a little bit back then. I ate acid whenever, mm-hmm. uh, uh, not very often, but whenever I wanted to. And I made the decision not ever to do that again. It yeah. was too hard on my body, on my brain, on my everything. But I think a lot of that had to do with the doses I was eating. Well, and so so I I have microdosed a couple times Good. with mushrooms. And I was terrified to do it the first time. Um, but the truth is, it was just... A lovely experience, like absolutely lovely, and um, not not dangerous. Not, uh, I mean, gosh, I I can have two alcoholic drinks and and be more, I guess, you know, high than I was with this. Um, the thing that troubles me about that is, I, I have no misgivings or hesitation about the science. None at all. Um, my misgivings come with how we have to acquire them is it's unregulated. Um, and I don't want to just take it from friend of a friend of a friend who got it from so-and-so and maybe it's like expired or maybe there's something else maybe somebody's trying to fool somebody. So I think that's my real hesitation is what am I getting? Who can I trust? That's um, that's why I choose to grow them myself yeah. for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, the fuzzy part on the line is if I were to grow more than what I need, it would be dangerous or illegal for me to sell them. Yeah. So yeah. I want to stay completely away from that. Yeah. Uh, the last couple times I've ventured into growing them, I've been very, very positively successful and I grew mm-hmm. so many that I had the opportunity to give them away yeah, to friends. To people who know you, yeah. Um, but sadly, I gave so much away, I didn't have enough left over for my... Uh, so I have to yeah. grow it again. Yeah. And, and do you fun. encapsulate them then do you, for microdosing? You can. Yeah, that's... I mainly do. just weigh them into a small amount okay. on a scale. And rather than put them in a gel cap, mm-hmm. I just know that this is... A microdose. Yeah. And uh, it's very important to have the right set and setting and possibly even a guide. Yeah, I want to talk about that too. Um, That you shouldn't take these things lightly Mm -hmm. and you should treat them with respect. And it's important that you have 
someone you trust mm-hmm. that's not on the same trip you're on. Yes, someone from outside. Yes. Right? I mean, someone you love and trust, but somebody When they're, when they're done in clinical settings, they have you in a hospital bed, right. and they have music playing or headphones on or whatever they have, mm-hmm. um, and they regulate it. And the cool thing for me is there's no... after If I have a couple drinks mm-hmm. the next day, I'm not feeling as good as I did the day before. Yes, right. Uh, but not so with mushrooms. The side, no minor side effect, typically when I have a nice dose, a microdose, my cheeks hurt from smiling so much, <laughs> you know. Like, and I try and make my cheeks be less smiley, and it just doesn't work because they're just coming back. Smiley, yeah. smiley, smiley. Yeah. And um, but it's still very important for me to have the right ambiance. Yeah. Um, if you're in a noisy place or a building or indoors or f- stuff like that, yeah. I choose to regulate around that or not with that. I like to have a small setting and a campfire and this mm-hmm. and that or whatever. Not overstimulated. Yeah. yeah. Um, I used to call mushroom eaters, uh, psilocybin eaters, jellyheads because mm. you could, you could, I've had lots of conversations with the waterfall mm-hmm. where it's a two-way conversation. It's talking to me, I'm talking mm-hmm. to it. And we, and we have a, or, oh, I can compose music. Mm-hmm. I can make any symphony happen any way I want it to go. And, you know, more brass, more string, whatever it is, I can make it happen in my head. Um, Which when you say that, it sounds, I think to a lot of people, it sounds like, oh, you just take them for fun. And no. the truth is, I, I mean... It's neuroplasticity that I'm after, yeah. honestly. Uh, as we age, certain things age, mm-hmm. and our brain is one of those. And one of this, many of these studies that are being conducted now show the connections in our brain become less and less as we age, and yeah. we become more and more forgetful. Or, And I'm not just using that word, but many others. Um, but with the microdosing, those connections are multiplied times a hundred and now at least from my experience in microdosing i have i don't turn around the next day and say oh i'm now cured i just feel calm Mm -hmm. peaceful a little bit joyous Mm -hmm. no i'm not saying giddy but uh i found that i didn't react to things uh, you know, have negative reactions to things that, re- like, I could respond to things, but the reactivity was decreased. Like, um, and I don't mean, you know, you have to react if your child's walking into the street or whatever. And I certainly wouldn't, um, you know, take anything before I had to give some kind of business presentation or, you know, it just wouldn't be for me. But um, I, I found that, like, irritants that would usually kind of set me off um it, the, my response time was more generous i'd say um a friend of ours uh told us a, a totally separate person from who gave me the microdose um said that for him taking mushrooms as a microdose is fine he can do like two or three times a week feels yes. right for him however 
he did a ceremonial dose um, with with a guide, and he said nothing can possibly compare to going walking through that with someone um, in a clinical setting, and that that had a greater impact on him than the microdosing has had. And it sounds to me like they're very different objectives. Would you agree with that? Yes. Um, now, the ceremony is a very important thing. And uh, I was fortunate recently a friend took me to Esalen. Oh, yeah. For yeah. a week. Wow, good friend. I didn't ask him any questions. I just <laughs> I just went. And there were some shamans there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we yeah, I don't think we brought any mushrooms or ate any mushrooms there, but we went through some ceremonial things that had mind-expanding, eye-opening, happy, joyful things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the right setting. It was, you know, Esalen. And, sure. um, oh, it turned out to be a little bit of a love fest, <laughs> uh, like Esalen. Uh <laughs> But this is a little recently, meaning like two or three or four months. I don't, uh, recently. Mm -hmm. And uh, they suggested that you mingle, walk around the room with your eyes down for a while. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, look up and find somebody to look into their eyes. Mm -hmm. And they'll look into your eyes and don't say anything. But you could then ask them, would you like to hold hands? And they can say no or yes. And there were people, we all have different levels of comfort with this COVID, that could say no or yes. And 90% of them said yes. And about 50% were women, 50% were men. Mm -hmm. So it was not. And then after you held hands, you could ask, would you like a hug? Mm -hmm. And 90% of the time, they would say yes. And it was very cathartic in that at that point, we were just sort of coming out of the lockdown. Right. And I hadn't been hugging men or women. Yeah. And it was really wonderful to hug, and I don't know how many, 10 or 20 people, 20 people, mm-hmm. uh, with perfect acceptance. Mm-hmm. And there were some people that said, no, I don't want to yeah. hold your hands. So that's okay. But we still did the eye contact thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little surprised that they suggested that, but they did. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a good positive thing. Yeah. My first non-family member hug outside of COVID, after COVID, was with my friend Matt Cross, who's a really big guy. And like a football player, and just it was like just the best thing in the whole world. Yeah, some of us give extremely good hugs, and Matt, Matt, wonderful guy. And yeah, that was just such a we don't know how much we need that till we don't have it, right? Tell me about well, you do mushroom walks, but do you keep your chanterelle spots to yourself? Yeah, it's a part of the code. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's sort of almost important because once you tell somebody about your spot, they might go there the next year a week before you. Yep, and all gone. And, or tell somebody else or whatever. And so if I tell you, I have to kill you. Right. Um, 
Shoot. So you were choosing not to share that information. And some of the stuff we're doing, oh, and I'd like to put up another plug in in a moment. Yes. Uh, there's a app on our telephones now called iNaturalist. Mm-hmm. And it helps you identify what's there. Yeah. And it also puts data into a database uh-huh. saying this mushroom was found in this location at this date. Yeah. And they're then able to say, oh, it's not here in April or May, but in whatever, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Some people, when they find something like a chanterelle, obscure the location. Mm-hmm. And my friend Michelle Torres Grant puts a random thing, and many of her observations for whatever it is, and I'll use chanterelle, whatever it is, are out in the ocean. <laughs> Oh, funny. <laughs> so just, many chanterelles out in the there. ocean. It's crazy. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Michelle Torres Grant and myself and another wonderful mycologist, Lindsay Best, are in the process of setting up a mycological society for San Luis Obispo area. Fantastic. And our goal is to build a database our goal is to do DNA sampling. Our goal is to educate. Our goal is to make people safe. Mm-hmm. Our goal, we have many goals. Uh, some of the goals are culinary. Yes. Some of the goals, Lindsay Best is very good at this, is wool dyeing. What do you mean? Mushrooms are a very positive dye for oh. people that like to weave uh-huh. or, yeah, weave or knit, or whatever they do. Right, fibers. Fibers. And Lindsay has a whole bunch. She can knit gloves or hats or scarves. Amazing. Using mushrooms as the dye. Mm-hmm. When I go to mushroom festivals or fairs, there's a culinary part. Mm-hmm. There's a dyeing part. There's a children's activity part. There's an mm-hmm. art part. There's a photography part. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, like 20 different niches. Uh and um, the society is in the formative stages now. Uh, and we're looking for donations. If people mm-hmm. want to give money to this group that's being formed to have DNA samples run, mm-hmm. it's 20 or $30 for a sample, and we want to do hundreds of samples. Yeah. And we're willing to pay for many, a lot of them ourselves, but... We'd like to do so many that we'd like other people to to benefit from this. You've given me so much time. Thank you, Dennis Sheridan, for taking the time to come and teach me about mushrooms (laughs) and share your experience with them. It's mainly I want to share my enthusiasm. Yes. That's it for another episode of the Consumed Podcast. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. To learn more about any of the guests you hear on the podcast, visit letsgetconsumed.com. You can also sign up there for the Consumed newsletter, where I share recipes, side stories, and more. Until next time, thank you for getting consumed together with me.